Welcome to SRG Offscript, the podcast where experts at Succession Resource Group unpack the latest industry trends, recommendations, and observations for independent advisors managing their practice. With no fluff and a little entertainment. In each episode, we'll discuss ways in which you can understand and leverage the value of your business, grow your business through M&A, but also through an optimized organizational structure, improve and protect your business to create a sustainable enterprise that can hopefully outlast you, and lastly, preparing for your eventual retirement and how to maximize that result. So, we encourage you to listen in with whatever beverage suits your preference, and let's get to the forefront of industry trends with a fresh perspective to help you achieve your business goals. Welcome back to another session of SRG Offscript. I am, I'll say elated, but it's later in the day, so I'll just say excited now to be talking with Caleb Brown here today about a topic that frankly is, it's something that I don't think gets talked about nearly enough. It is, it's the other side of the same coin we talk about all the time, which is succession planning. Succession planning, building an enterprise takes people to scale these businesses, which is the bane of most of us in our existence as business owners, finding good talent, training good talent, and then keeping good talent. So uh, I had the pleasure of hearing Caleb actually talk on stage at a conference I was at recently, and I immediately put a note on my phone and asked my assistant to make sure, get in contact with Caleb, we got to get him on the podcast, and just, I don't even care if nobody listens to it live, record this and start using it to share with our clients. So uh, I've talked enough about you briefly here, Caleb, right. without telling anybody who you are. They probably know, unless they've lived under a rock. But would you give them a little bit of background, who you are in your firm? You guys do pretty cool stuff. Thanks. Thanks, David. That's that's too kind. So uh, <laughs> Caleb Brown. So I came out of the Texas Tech Financial Planning Program a long time ago before anybody even knew anything about it and <laughs> really just struggled to get in the profession. You know, I was trying to get an internship in 2001 and a full-time job in 2002. And if you're we're great in the timing. business or, or yeah, great timing. If you remember the business or you studied investment markets, that was not the best time to be going to someone saying, Hey, can you please hire me and pay me a salary? I don't have any assets. I can't bring on any clients and I'm just getting started in my career and really can't add a whole lot of value. So saw a lot of my colleagues just drop out of the profession because at that yeah. point the industry was a lot smaller and people just wouldn't take chances. So I, I just kind of committed myself to, I, I was able to get convince a couple people to take a chance on me and it worked out for them and it worked out for me. But just at that, from that point on, committed myself to helping the new planner. I think everything was really geared towards the experienced advisor. Let's get the dues paying right. experienced advisor. Let's get them CE. Let's get them, you know, investment content and marketing content. I and mean, you talk about how talent and he's never talked about. It's like, yeah, look at, I mean, even to this day, 20 years later, most of the sessions are on practice management or technology or marketing and investments. Right. And it's, you know, succession planning, talent hiring. It's just kind of like, oh, whatever I realize, like, that's just not, that's not applicable to me, not important. And, yeah. you know, it's just rough going. So anyways, I started uh, with Michael Kitsis a long time ago in um, 20, uh, 2009. So again, we have great timing. A, a recruiting firm that really focuses on the independent RIA channel uh, that for entry-level financial planners. So paraplanner, associate planner, all the way up to, you know, probably maybe a lead planner. Yeah. Uh, and just that, that, so it's one type of firm and really one type of position in that firm and no one else was really doing that. And we've just kind of carved out a little niche and it's been a lot of fun for the last 14 or so years. 
And how, how big is the team it, in the company is what? New Planner Recruiting is the name of it? Yeah, new, newplannerrecruiting.com. So what do we, we just had some changes. I, I, so this is the, the entrepreneurs listening to this will, will love this. I mean, I, I kind of made the classic mistake like, hey, I just want to become the corn fairy of entry-level recruiting <laughs> and I got to hire all these people and have all this staff and have all these expenses and have yeah. all this labor and have all this capacity. And I woke up one morning and I was like, wait a minute, I don't like what I've created here. I want to just get back to it. You know, I was doing CEO marketing, content creation. Uh, like I need to be just thinking all day long. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm really good at recruiting and I like it. Why don't I just go back to doing that? So yeah, we made some adjustments to the team. So currently it's, it's four people. Okay. All right. So me and uh, I have an associate that Michael Kitsis is involved at, at a high level. And I have another part-time person who does a lot of the research and the consulting for us. But I, I'm the I'm the person, at least right now, that the clients deal with, and I'm the person yeah. that the candidates deal with, and they love that, and I love it. And I'm I'm just I was telling my wife the other day, I was like, I you know, I love our our weekends, and I loved, it, but man, I cannot wait to get back on Monday. It's amazing. I, I got to imagine you love what you do because of how impactful it is. And you're right. When you talk about the conferences and the content, there's tons of stuff on working in the business as an advisor, for sure. Lots of that. And compliance. And then there's the stuff about succession planning. There's a whole bunch there in the middle on building these teams that, frankly, it drives me crazy when we work with teams on succession planning. They want to try to create a five or 10 year exit. And their solution is, well, I just need to go have my recruiter at my BD or hire a recruiter, go find me 35, 40 year old CFP that has a small book. It doesn't have to be huge. I'm not being greedy. And I'd like them to be able to prospect and do some basic service work. As soon as they can find that, then my succession plan's all set. And frankly, I'm maybe like two or three of them actually. Well, get in line, buddy. But then I talk to these people and they're looking over the shoulder of these large enterprises and saying, well, who are they using for recruiting? Where are they getting all this talent from? I'm like, well, they're not going out and recruiting all this talent. I mean, they might get an easy win, a layup here and there, but they're investing and building their talent. So my long-winded question to you here is, when you see these large enterprise teams, they've got these great next-gen advisors, from your experience, how are they being successful at scaling these businesses? Because I don't feel like you can rely on recruiting carbon clones of yourself that are just 20 years younger. That doesn't seem sustainable long-term. Yeah, it's an interesting thought. I mean, the, the bigger are, I mean, when I got started in the firm, the business, uh, the firms that had a hundred million in assets were huge. Right. Okay. And now <laughs> like not even a blip on the radar. Now it's like yeah. kind you of know, a billion, billion, a billion to get sit at the seat at the table. And what yeah. are, what are the bigger firm, you know, four or 500 billion. So right. they, they just have whole departments of researchers and resource and re recruiters. So they're hitting it pretty hard and they're calling competitors, but I think they're also better position to take chances on people who have expressed an interest in, in financial planning as a career right. versus your small RIA with six people who said, well, we'd love to take a chance on that history major who's sold mm -hmm. us and maybe done an internship, but nah, we can't do it. They got to go work somewhere five years and we'll try to recruit them later. And then right. I ended up losing them. And I just, for the smaller, so the smaller firms are certainly at a disadvantage. I think they're from a resource standpoint and also just being able to take a risk. It's like, if I'm a small RIA, I want, they, they have to be out of a CFP program. They've got to, you know, have several internships. They've got to pass. I mean, the barrier is very high. And what that ends right. up leaving is a lot of small firms fighting over a small number of candidates where the, the bigger firms, it's like, 
no, we can give that person a shot. I mean, just think like, you know, the, the big financial services coming like Vanguard. I mean, they're like, they come to UGA and these other schools and it's like, who, who, who do you want to interview? Everybody. We want to talk right. to everybody. How many people do you want to hire? Well, as many as we can. I mean, like, right. You know, and a lot of people get started there and, and you know, move, move on to an RIA or, or another channel later on. But the smaller firms just, they're just not as well positioned to take that risk. So how, how are these small firms? I mean, because at the end of the day, big firms, small firm, they have the same challenges. Like we're all leaving this industry at some point, horizontally or vertically. You and I both know it's out there for us. So yeah. as the founder, I'm going to take my foot off the gas at some point. I need somebody there with their foot on it. Like where are these, I mean, it's relative to your point, where are these smaller firms, where are they getting their next gen talent? Are they, are they recruiting it? Are they hiring and training it? Like where are you seeing people have the most success? And the small, and I'm going to say smaller firms, like less than a billion in assets, right? Fair. So yeah. they, most of them are not, they come to me because they don't want to necessarily hire someone newer and, and train them just because it's like, it's going to take a lot of work. It's not a guaranteed, you know, return on my investment and it's a lot of risk. And, yep. you know, it's just, so what they're, and what I help them with a lot of times is getting somebody that's experienced, that's in a different channel, that's maybe working towards their CFP, maybe a little bit newer to their career, but. They're in what I'm going to call, and I'm not going to use any names, but a lesser tier channel outside of the RIA market. So the, your listeners can can let their mind go wherever they want. But we've had a lot of success over the last decade or so reaching out and finding people in these other sort of what I'm going to call ancillary sort of financial services industry jobs that want to be advisors, want to be planners. And they didn't realize about, they didn't understand the RIA channel. They didn't understand the salaried model and they think this is the only way to do it. So we get on the phone with them or we can, you know, give them the good news. Got it. And are the folks you're recruiting over and recruiting them into, are they coming over to build their own individual books of business? Typically, are they coming and joining a larger kind of integrated ensemble team, if you will? What's, what's more attractive? Yeah. Like what makes your job easy to get these people to say yes? Most of them are, there, there's a few that are looking to build their own book under more okay. of a hybrid model. Hey, come over and pay me a salary. I'll work and support your clients, but I also want to go get my own and I want a bigger yep. payout, a bigger revenue share on those. The majority of the RIAs that we deal with, especially in the fee only space, they have been very successful over the last, I mean, on getting clients and they need worker bees. They need minders and grinders. You know, yeah. if you're familiar with the finder, minder, grinder, like we got that, we just onboarded 12 clients. We got the Smiths, the Nelsons, the Williams, like we need someone to get all this work done. Right. And you know, that could be in a para plan or associate planner. That could be a lead advisor. We just, we don't need you to get any business. We we're actually, we're swamped with business. So the clients that reach out to me are just covered over with prospects and new assets and they need someone to take care of this because they're like any other entrepreneur, they hate telling people no, and they take turning away the business, and they want to continue to to grow. and And unfortunately, it provides opportunities for these people. Well, I love that you bring that up. We use the term like on a compensation plan design team, and I've got questions for you on comp stuff too coming up. But we use the term, you know, farmers and hunters. Where honestly, most of the founders they're really, really good hunters, and then frankly, they're yeah. pretty good farmers too. Like they're good at operations, they're good at service, but where they excel is going out and prospecting and elephant hunting. And that becomes their highest and best use of time. So you're spot on. They really probably are looking more for farmers. Like it'd be great to get another hunter. No one's going to complain about that, but we probably need two or three farmers for every hunter And their job is just basically fill up that bucket of time and then get Caleb back on the phone. Go find us another one. 
I get in debates with it, friendly, fun debates at conferences all the time with, with people. And there's a lot of different opinions out there, but it's kind of like, look, what, I mean, somebody who founded a firm, you know, 10, 15, 20, I mean, even, even five years, I mean, five years ago, I mean, to get the locomotive started, it takes a lot of energy. Right. But once that thing is up and going, you get you got the clients, you got the revenue rolling in. You, you don't the fire doesn't need to be as hot. You right. know, you can back off a little bit. So to to your point, it's like a lot of these people. And I know you see this in your work that you know the G two and the G three convincing the G one. It's like no, we they don't have to they don't have to just be a salesperson. Like you need someone that's more like relationship, more right. of a professional manager. It really because you've built this thing and you need to turn it over like. You're, you're getting enough referrals from just your current clients. You don't even have to do anything marketing. And there's a lot of, it's hard to, I've realized, it's hard to get the, G, the G1, like, wait a minute. No, no, no. They need to be a slick salesman. They need to be able to get the assets like I did. Like, right. No, they don't. You're looking for the wrong person because that person doesn't exist because right. they already have their own, own firm. I right. Mean, the, and this is something maybe that, you know, <laughs> that we can get to later. I mean, the barriers to entry of starting your own firm when I got started 20, I mean, impossible. I mean, you just, you were, it was 125% chance of right. failure. Now it's very possible and it's not right. expensive and we have different models now. And if you can sort of, you know, live on ramen and, and noodles for, for a while and sort of, you know, get a couple of big clients, I mean, you can get a firm up and going pretty quickly, pretty cheaply. And it's, it's awesome. Right. So as you're going out and you're doing this recruiting work, I mean, I got to imagine statistically, most of the people you're finding using that hunter farmer analogy, you're going to be able to find more farmers than you are hunters. And to your point, we do see that a lot where folks think, well, you know, I'm not sure I necessarily need somebody like, you know, Caleb and his organization, because my broker dealer, for example, they're out there actively recruiting. So mm. it's already covered yeah. to which I am. I'm sure you will have some input on that. But I would say even from an outsider's perspective, neutral, two different things, like what the broker dealer is looking for in recruiting or even the custodian when they're recruiting to bring somebody over on that platform, they want hunters. They need right. producers. They don't need farmers. Farmers doesn't do a broker dealer any good, but for the individual advisor, the hunter, they don't need more hunters. I mean, it never hurts to have them, but we need farmers so we can keep you hunting. So I guess as you compare and contrast, like, because every broker dealer of any size has a recruiting team, you guys are different, Right. Yeah, you're right. You're, you're exactly right. The internal recruiters at these big broker dealers, they're focused on moving somebody with a big book of business. So yep. I'm going to call it north of 250 million from one broker dealer to their platform. They're not interested. I mean, let's don't say that. They're less interested in helping right. their higher producers find worker bees. Right, and that's right. why I get calls from these, from these firms that if these, these brokers are like, Hey, you know, I, I talked to the home office and, you know, they kind of just didn't really get me anybody or. The candidates right. really weren't that good, or they don't even know who we're looking for because they're used to moving businesses, books of blocks of business. Yeah, go figure. I need a CFP or I need someone on a CFP track. I need that associate planner that can can help me prep for meetings, that can come in the meetings and present some of the stuff, that can be frankly be on top of the situation so I don't have to be, so I can right. do other things. And when a client asks a question, they can answer it or with, you know, with me helping a little bit and sort of run with the client engagement while I'm over here getting bigger clients or more clients or right. I'm managing the business or I'm buying a CPA firm, whatever it is, like what the CEO should be doing. Right. Yes. Thank you. It's, I'm glad you brought that up. It's 
being a CEO. I mean, you don't have to be a CEO full-time necessarily. And frankly, I know a lot of advisors listening will think like, I don't want to be a CEO. Well, you started the firm. So by default, somebody threw you that hat and you grabbed it. So you don't have to do it You're the CEO by default until (laughs) you hire larger firms now or hiring typically professional managers outside of the industry. But honestly, you think about, you know, at a, a smaller firm, again, smaller being, you know, billion, for example, and under, what does a CEO really do? Well, they do this stuff. They do marketing or they develop the marketing plan, how we're going to get out in front of people. They're working on training and mentoring, tracking capacity with their team so they can be talking to you to go find people to relieve that capacity. Like, it ain't rocket science. Yeah, when you get to a billion or 10 billion or the hundred billion dollars, it's probably a different skill set. You know, so that old what got you here won't get you there. But for now, it's frankly just freeing you up to just do the things you're already good at. It's just the highest and best use of your time, which is generally not sitting in on client meetings, or at least initially it's not your C and D clients. And then eventually it's not even your B clients. If you do this right, it's not even eventually your A clients. It's going and getting more A clients because nobody else could do that. That's right. I mean, I get on these prospect calls with these firms that want us to recruit and they're, you know, I'm asking them sort of, what are you doing? What, where's your pain point? You know, the yeah. cliche word. And like, it's, well, we've got, you know, I'm managing, you know, 180 relationships. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, you need to stop right there. Like you shouldn't be doing anything else. If you're giving good, so, like, you're like, oh, I'm managing the firm. I'm doing the recruiting. I'm doing like, no, right? you're, you're spinning your wheels. And then, yeah, you know, that's, that's, they end up admitting that later on. <laughs> it's like, right. we got to fire you. I mean, assuming you want to be you know, I, at the top of the show, I shared my sort of, uh, what I just gone through and it's very similar to what these RIAs go through. Yeah. Like you, if you want to be CEO, you need to fire yourself from the client engagement stuff and turn that yep. over to somebody else or hire someone. If you don't want to fine, you keep working with the yeah. clients and you hire someone else. I mean, it's, it's really right. two options. Yeah. Or, or you build a lifestyle business, I guess. And, you know, I think you know, Michael Kitsis talks a lot about that and I love him for it where. Everybody talks about the, you know, hundred billion dollar firm and it's great and it has place and it is needed, but you also have that simple lean, mean lifestyle practice that to your point, they have no desire to be a CEO. (laughs) Yeah. And I was just going to say, this is, I mean, Michael's put out a bunch of stuff on this, but just my, the soul, I mean, the, the margins on the small lifestyle practice are humongous, right? These people can make so much money. And that's why you see a lot of like, and I'm not picking on NAPFA, but you know, like you got all these solo shops. It's like, no, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm not gonna hire anybody. I'm, I'm good. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm making more money than I know what to do with. And I have no stress, no people to deal with. And man, life's great. You know, like I'm not going to go there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's comical when I see these large industry aggregators invited on stage at the custodian conferences to talk about the evolving model of advisor space in the, in the advisor space and how, you know, the smaller advisor firm is going to have to you know, consolidate and aggregate, says the aggregator, to be able to remain relevant and competitive. I'm like, to your point, yeah, NAPFA and some of these other lifestyle practices. And there's tons of them. If you really sat down and looked at them, those are tough to compete with, frankly, because they are lean, they are mean, they are efficient. If it isn't directly impactful to the business, client-facing or business development related, they ain't doing it. And they throw off a great margin. They maintain a great lifestyle. I feel like it's the advisors who get in that middle territory where they hired because they thought they needed to keep growing Well, they didn't really want to hire, but they did. And then they deal with, well, now the employees want benefits. And so we got to go get benefits and I got to deal with the, having an LLC or an S corp. And I probably need a little more space. So I have to go get an office, but they never had the desire to wear that CEO hat and they get stuck in the middle. They're not getting to the enterprise stage and they don't want to get there, frankly. 
but they also outgrew that the easy lifestyle business. And that, that's kind of a painful process to watch where they then, I mean, to your point, they have to intentionally cut back or double down and grow one or the other, but growing, you got to find good people. And I just, again, I wanted to have you on here because Mike, I know people don't know where to find these folks. And I do love the firms that are willing to bring in the intern, invest in their talent. And by invest, I mean, pay somebody for 18 or 24 months to get really nothing productive out of them. And then hopefully they stick around long enough to start doing something productive. And five years from now, you look like a sabbat, assuming that they don't quit and leave or you have to fire them because they, well, suck. So it is nice when you can find those ready-made candidates or slightly more ready-made candidates. I'm curious from your perspective on the compensation. So let's say I pick the phone up, I call you, we're in growth mode, my team's generally capacity, we're, we're growing, I need somebody to come in and help take care of clients, new clients, clients we can assign them. What's reasonable compensation? I mean, at a high level. I get it. We're not going to get into specifics, but like what's a comp model that somebody would leave these other firms and say yes to? Usually salary and some sort of bonus and incentive because they're coming from still, I mean, there's still a lot of firms out there, David, that it's a hundred percent. I just talked to a candidate this morning, hundred percent commission. He's 26 years old and has been, he's generated like 300,000 over the last three years for a firm and has been paid out like 60,000. It's come to him. I was like, right. oh, are we still doing this? Um, yeah. and the answer is yes. So we do a study every year. Um, it's a little different than the, the Schwab and the other studies out there because we're in a different role as a recruiters. Right. We uh, abiding by the legal limits. I mean, we, sometimes we cannot ask, you know, sort of what you're making. Right. But we always ask, what's it going to take for you to look right. at something else? Yeah. The and other version just, of that question. We <laughs> just, and we just aggregate all of that and we might have four or 500 conversations over a quarter or two and we just put it out on, and that's available on our website for a free download uh, when you put your email in. But uh, just to give a nationwide averages, paraplanner, so someone zero to two years experience is about 65. Okay. Um, somebody that's associate planner that might be between you know two to five years of experience was like 85. You know, this is salary. So plus bonus yeah. and benefits would be on top of that. And then somebody with like five years of experience that's kind of more on that lead planner role, it was like 105. All right. So based on the, 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 that's the results of the, at least the candidates that we talked to yeah. uh, during that time period. Well, and to your point, we do a lot of compensation research from our evaluation work because we have to help people with this stuff once they're onboarded or they've been there for a while and build new compensation plans. So I was curious, frankly, you answered right off the bat, actually, even amounts aside, the methodology, and I didn't even get a chance to, you know, prime you to see if I knew what the answer was going to be. But I, I do love if we follow the base bonus profit you know, approach here, which is very similar to what you just described. But what we do not follow, like or recommend, unless you're trying to build your own small broker dealer is paying out a percentage of someone's production like that is that is what a broker dealer does for their hunting, producing advisors. And it's fine. It works in that model. But if you're trying to build a team, that compensation model, that dog won't hunt. But it's so prevalent. I mean, we've seen that. I mean, you, frankly, you grew up with it. It's been in the industry forever. So I don't know. I mean, how, have you found an effective way in the consulting work you do on the recruiting side to help combat that? Because I feel like if you talked to enough advisors about trying to recruit people to their firm, you probably have a lot of people who want to just pay a percentage of revenue. Fair or are you getting a tainted sample set here of the smart ones? 
tainted sample. I mean, yeah. we're we're pretty well positioned in the I'm going to say the higher end boutique fee only RIA, and they've been paying salaries, and they've they've yeah. known this for decades, and they also know that it's a great. I mean, it's a great lever for me. I'm like, I, I will not recruit for anybody. The answer is no. Yeah, okay. if you're not paying a salary, and there's not yeah. a path to ownership, and there's not mentoring and training, and so I don't. So yeah. I'm only seeing us. There's people out there. I'm just not. They're not coming across my desk. Yeah. Got it. I mean, w- would you, I got to imagine you wouldn't be as effective in your recruiting efforts if you're trying to recruit into a model like that. Cause that's, I feel like for the longest time, our industry has struggled with that. And it's why we end up getting the people who come out of college who got turned down to go teach English in Korea. Like that you're getting people who this is plan C to go sell commissionable products. Like that's just, nobody wants to come out of college and do that. Right. And it's, it's, I'm a little conflicted because when I first started my career and I mean, I'm still a bleeding heart. I mean, like, I mean, I want everybody to go into a fee only RIA salary yeah. paraplanner position, learn the business. And in five years you were just killing it. Yeah. I mean, you could own your own firm, but as I've gotten, you know, maybe older and maybe a little more wiser, <laughs> it's like, well, hold on a second here. These other, everybody talks about, we have a talent problem. Uh, yeah, maybe, but there's right. all these big firms that I've been talking about that hire, that spend millions of dollars flying oh, right. recruiters around, recruiting out of campus, recruiting, you know, the accounting person, recruiting the history, the psycho. Yeah. And if they want to hire them and, and bring them on and, and train them in mostly sales and products, but right. get them excited and get them interested in the profession. And then I can connect with them or another RIA yeah. firm owner can connect with them later on in their career and say, Hey, look. Right. I'm okay. I'm okay with that. I mean, I, and some people may be upset right. and I, it, it does make me upset when if I, cause I can't get to everybody. And then that person leaves the profession. Like a lot right. of my buddies did us at the top of the call, like, oh, this, this is the only way. So yes, right. there is some, there is some loss there. There is some, some shrink, but right now, I mean, like and a lot of the RIAs tell me like, well, we don't need to come up with a training program. We don't need to do this. We don't, because we have all these, and like, and I think a lot of them are just going to keep riding those coattails. And fortunately, we've been in kind of in the middle of that and profited <laughs> off of it for the last 15 years, <laughs> but also yeah, right? helped people that were on the verge of quitting and saying, man, is this really the industry? I'm out of here getting right? into a good quality firm. And I mean, we've got 165 episodes on our podcast, the new planner podcast on success stories of these people. <laughs> and a lot of them were in other channels. A lot of them were thinking about giving up their career and here they are. So. So yeah. I'm, I'm a little conflicted if like, I wish everybody had the same career track I had, but then I was like, well, wait a minute you know. And I just told right. someone earlier in the week, I'm actually glad that we did not connect right when you came out of school. I'm glad that you spent three years over here because now when I put you in front of one of my clients, you're never going to look at anything else ever again. And most of the time they right. don't. Yeah. But I mean, it really is, I don't know, it's challenging when you think about these folks and how many people in our industry have probably gotten blown out of the industry over the last 20 years because all the industry had historically, and a lot today still, is only looking for hunters. And so you get these great teams with, I mean, to your point, they, you got a founder who's got a couple hundred million in AUM. They've got a good team under them. They're trying to recruit because they're at capacity and they bring the person in. And they end up losing them two or three years later because they couldn't build a book. And you look at the founder who's still servicing 180 households. You think, push those households down, True. mentor and train them and go get another 180 and then do it again and do it again and just keep Caleb on speed dial. But they're not doing it. Or at least maybe they're starting to. It sounds like you've got enough business, obviously, that there are some folks out there doing it, which we love to see because it makes our job a lot easier on the succession planning side, undoubtedly. 
And, and I think that's because a lot of the founding generation came from a scarcity mentality. Not that they had that personally, but that's what they were taught and trained. Like, right. no, you don't, it's hard to get a client. Once you get them, you don't turn them, you don't do anything with them. You don't right. ever fire your DNC clients. You don't ever transfer them to like, that's their problem. You know, you, you right. keep your, that's a, and I know you wanted to talk about this. Like that's the old school silo model, which there right. are still some firms out there utilizing that. I and mean, like, again, back at very highly profitable, Yeah, but and, and you're the guy to talk to on this. I mean, it's probably not when you're looking at exiting, it's probably not as valuable as a, a high margin ensemble firm where right. everything's interchangeable. And if, Hey, Caleb Brown's not there recruiting, doesn't matter. Firm's still going to keep generating the revenue. I right. mean, like that's worth a lot more than, uh-oh, Caleb's not there. Business is worth a lot less. Right. Which is, I mean, in any professional service industry happens a lot, but yeah, to your point, when you can actually build a sustainable enterprise, I mean, that is A, rare and B, incredibly valuable. And frankly, they just never get sold because they don't need yeah. to. They just recycle their equity internally to the next generation because they're doing exactly what we just talked about. You're recruiting the talent in. They're training and mentoring. They're pushing their C's and D's down. They get capacity. We bring somebody else in. They mentor and train. We push those C's and D's down again. I can now push the B's down. It's very replicatable. And then you start combining that with, like earlier today, I was mentioning, uh, I had the guys from Redtail on, and we were talking about systems and processes and workflows. You combine your recruiting with mentoring and training and good use of technology that business is going to be lethally effective and incredibly scalable. Like we'll never list a business like that for sale because they won't need it. They'll never sell to an aggregator because they won't need it. They can still get that incredible value, but internally, but it takes work. And I'm just one, I mean, just like, you know, they're still going to get their check, right? Which is what they want. But right. it's also like, man, I'm kind of stepping away and I know like not a lot's going to change. I mean, my people are going to be really taken care of. My clients, right. the culture's not going to change worse. When some of these other firms start, I mean, and I've mentioned this and I think I gave this strategy in my talk, like one of the things I have is I have these Google alerts set up and every time I'm for the news right. and every time some of these companies that I'm not going to name, I see a press release, they bought somebody. I know I can reach out to some of those people and probably get them <laughs> out of there because they know the culture is going to change. And especially when the private equity guys are involved, it's like, Hey, we're, you know, right. We, we want to return on investment. We want it really quick. You need to start cutting, you know, cutting services, jacking up the right. fees, you know, cutting yeah. staff and that the existing team is going to feel that and they know it's coming and it, that doesn't happen all the time. Right. And I'm not trying to paint the picture. They're all bad, mean monsters, but it's a recruiting strategy for some of your audience. Yeah. Well, and to your point on the private equity stuff, I feel like advisors work in the private equity space in a different capacity, obviously, with their clients and their investments. But the theme holds true. Private equity investors, be it an aggregator or an investment vehicle for your clients, private equity wants a larger turn and they want it fast. These are not buy and hold. These are not long-term investors. Yet, I feel like a lot of the advisor firms are surprised when they end up, I don't say selling out, but selling out, getting the big check, and then everything changes. And yeah, they're they're consolidating the staff. They're getting rid of people, i.e. driving profits. Like, so I love the idea of building these internal succession plans, staffing, mentoring, and training. And if it doesn't work out, then you go to plan B, which could be an aggregator. It could be a peer, but you still have a shining gem of a practice because to your point, you got the internal team. They're there, they're mentored, they're trained. They may not want to take it over which, you know, frankly, most of them will, but they don't always want to, but you still have a business that is incredibly valuable. 
But part of that is, and you mentioned this earlier, so I want to laser beam focus on it, career tracks, job descriptions, pay bands. In your opinion, in the work that you're doing, Caleb, are you seeing these things? If so, why are they important in your opinion? Because we love them, but they are a lot of work. Yeah, it's table stakes now. I mean, when I got yeah. an inch, I'm a dinosaur. As a millennial, you know, a leading edge millennial dinosaur, I mean, they, there was no, none of that was in place when I was getting in. I mean, it's right. But now every firms that we work with, if they, they're coming to us saying, look, we know we need to have all this. We want it. We, can you create it for us? Can you help us? Or can you help yeah, us get okay. to a consultant? And, and we'll help them with that. Because again, I'm not going to recruit for someone's like, ah, yeah, they can just, you know, <laughs> do whatever they want. Just go out and get a bunch of clients. That's your career path. It's like, right. no, that's not really what our, there might be some candidates looking for that, but not our, our candidates. So yeah, that, that's really table stakes. One of the things we we're talking about is what are they really looking for? You know, and I think one of the stories that the RIA space can tell is, you know, beyond the salary and sort of the fee only, because I have a lot of that's tables like just the learning and the mentorship. I mean, people are right. coming out. This is different than the medical field. When you come out as a doctor, you show up on day one after your residency, after your fellowship, and like you're you're a doctor. You you don't need any other training or anything. You right. you know what you it doesn't work that way in financial planning. You come out with a four-year degree and especially yours truly. <laughs> Like we didn't know what we were doing. We had to learn from somebody. Yeah. So what the best candidates want, I mean, they want to be compensated well. They usually want to go to a larger city and that type of thing, but yep. they want to learn from somebody who knows what they're doing and they want to the apprenticeship model. And this is where maybe the ensemble firms with multiple, let's just call them senior advisors have an advantage over the sole practitioner because right. the best candidates with the most conscientiousness understand that, well, if I'm sitting in the meeting with Mary and then Sally and then Jim and Mark, that's, that's multiple aspects and things I can pull from to create my own style when right. I'm dealing with clients versus like, like my job, I just went to a sole practitioner and it was great. I was the only one I didn't have to share his time with any other, but I only got one sort of viewpoint on how to do things it ended up working out for me, but, Got it. but now the, 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 just back to what we were saying earlier, the ensembles, I mean, a lot of, a lot of firmers probably don't think that way. Like it's more right. valuable. You have more of a, I feel like it's another lever to pull to attract. Yeah. Well, and you touched on one of my questions there, which is in your opinion, cause you are talking to these next gen advisors, like what are they looking for? And you know, I think you generally addressed it. And it's great to hear that there are enough businesses out there because I feel like we, I run into at conferences talking to these folks, a disproportionate amount of people that when I do these presentations and I talk to them afterwards, again, I'm coming at the same thing you're talking about, but from the succession lens. And we'll talk about that mentorship model, the training, getting next gen people ready. And they'll challenge me afterwards. I mean, nicely in the dialogue, but they kind of gristle at the idea of having two people in every single meeting when you only need one. And I look at that and I'm like, well, well, yeah, but if you only ever have one, you'll only ever have one. And that one is always going to be you. Like, how do you scale that? So from a profitability perspective, I get it. Firm probably takes a little bit of a hit early on having these redundancies. But I don't know. I mean, your opinion, like how else do you scale a business without next gen talent? Because otherwise the clients get older as the advisor gets older. And I can't imagine you're going to have as referable an experience. I mean, you were in the advisor's seat for a while. Your yeah. thoughts on that? I mean, this, again, back to the sustainable part of the business. Well, well, they go upstream. That's what they do. I mean, yeah. it's like we got started and we took on $500,000 accounts. Then it was right, right. 2 million. Now, now it's 5 million. I mean, oh, yeah. uh, that's, I mean, 
because this is a very labor intensive, even with all the robo and the AI stuff, very late. I mean, this is a, emo- these are emotional decisions. Yeah. These are big concepts. I mean, these are people, this is weighty. Just, I mean, they, they want to talk to somebody and it just, it takes a lot of manpower and labor to get all this stuff prepared, run the numbers, run the calculations, and then, you know, synthesize and walk them through. And, and I don't, and that's why they can make the money that they make. I mean, because, <laughs> I mean, it's like, that's part of it. So I, I don't see them really without hiring a lot of people, you know, and, and late and then into your, the apprenticeship. I mean, it's like, and then my question I get all the time, like, well, how long is that going to take? Cause I, well, <laughs> it's going to take as long as it takes. Right. I mean, the Smiths, it may take five months for the Smiths, Smith relationship. It may take five years for the Browns to get them comfortable with the new person. And you're just going to have to have patience to do that because this is a delicate, gentle thing. And I know Philip Palaviv talks about that all the time too. It's like, yeah, you know, it's kind of like that, that whole thing that he talks about too. It's like, yeah, I've been for the last seven years, I've been looking for that CFP with five years of experience. And, you know, and I get that a lot too. I see that a lot too. It's like, oh my yeah. goodness, all you had to do was just hire someone brand right. new. You don't have to pay them very much. There is a risk that they're going to leave. And, and that's one right. point I want to come back to. Look, you can do everything correctly. And you're going to have turnover and you're going to have people leave and it may not work out as a successor. I want right. the audience to hear that. That's just the risk of being a business owner and being in business. If you don't like that, stay a sole practitioner or get out of the business because that just comes with the territory. Right. There's that great, I think it's just more of like an, an analogous quote, but it's the CFO talking to the CEO saying, what if we invest in our talent and they leave? To which the CEO replies, what if we don't and they stay? Right. I mean, Absolutely. that's- it does, but I mean, I will say firsthand, and you probably have dealt with this too. It does suck when you bring somebody on, they're doing a good job, you're investing in them, I mean, time and money, and then they go pursue another career or they go to a competing firm. Like it's, it's enough sometimes if it happens two or three times in a year to make you just want to throw your hands up and go back to being a lifestyle practice. Yeah. So it's just, you know, keep that laser beam focus on what you're looking to build because yeah, I mean, I definitely have heard that same quote. And I think I heard you say it on stage The you know, we're been looking for somebody with, you know, four or five years of experience for the last seven years. It's like, well, sure. The easy answer is you hired them seven years ago. And now they have seven years of experience, but that assumes you got the right person the first time. But in reality, you're not going to get it right the first time, but they probably have two or three years of experience instead of sitting here trying to find somebody with the four or five and you just never find them. Like, well, and your service is lacking and you're overwhelming right. your current staff yeah. or, I mean, cause I see this a lot of times as a sole practitioner, it's like, you have all these clients, well, that's great, but like, they're not getting the proper service they need. And, and I don't know, it's going to be interesting. You probably have other guests and you can get some of the other commentators that are a lot smarter than me talk about, like, there's going to be specific guidelines on like, look, you need to be, I think at the SE, like to be a fiduciary, you got to reach out like once a, you know, at least once a year or something like some of these people are probably yeah, aren't right. doing that. So like, they're going to keep yeah. cracking down on that, you know, and yeah. keep sort of giving more and more guidance. So the other thing too, that I, I failed to mention earlier, and I know I'm bouncing around here, but on the, for your listeners on the recruiting, I mean, mm-hmm. if you're in a smaller RIA firm, people that come to your firm, they can shape the business. They can help shape the business. They, five, they go to $500 billion firm. They're not moving the needle whatsoever. Not right. moving the needle. No. That's like going to like a KPMG or you're, you're not moving. Right. You're a young accountant. You are not moving the needle. Yeah. You go to a small boutique little accounting firm or financial planning firm, you can really transform the client experience and see the growth. Right. And the top candidates that I deal with, whether they're coming out of school or career changers or then yep. they're in other channels, that's very appealing to them. Yeah, versus coming and being a cog in a very large machine, which 
even when that sounds appealing from a pay scale perspective, once you've been ground to a nub, then call Caleb and he'll find you a safe, happy home. <laughs> you got it. Well, and again, having hired people and lost them, and we've all listening had to deal with that. It's there's a video that I love. It's uh, Jacko the Jacko Will Willink the the seal. He does a lot of great stuff. The leadership book that he wrote, but he had the video he's got. It's I think it's titled Good, and it's you know it's all the shitty things that happen to people, and the answer for him on everything is good. Good is in like it's a learning experience. So yeah, you hire somebody, you invested, trained, mentored, they left. Good. Document your process. It'll make the next hire that much faster. That one leaves. It sucks. All right. What do we learn from it? Good. So it's you're never going to get these things right as business owners. The point is, don't give up. If your goal is to build the enterprise, the ensemble practice, there are resources. There are people like Caleb and your organization who can help get you there. You don't have to go it alone. What is, you've kind of talked about it in a roundabout way, but like, what is your ideal client? Like who's, who should pick the phone up and call you? Who shouldn't? Yeah, I mean, I think any RIA firm, so either the fee only or even the, yeah. the hybrid situation that yeah. has a uh, plenty of clients, you know, and just needs somebody to come in and help on the analysis and, or the relationship yep. management. And generally these people have an employee mentality, like employee yep. first, we want a career track. We want to take care of them and their family. We want them okay. to have a good opportunity. We want to provide a path to ownership. We want to, I mean, just as succinctly like going to the candidates and saying, you need to come work here because we're going to pour everything we have into you. And in three years, you're going to be really good. You're going to be way beyond all of your colleagues that you either came out of school with or transferred in the industry with or completed the externship with or whatever it is, your cohort, you're going to be so much further along. It's so it's more of a mindset. Location is, is helpful. Usually in the, the bigger Metro centers. I mean, I, I'm a bleeding heart. I love to help everybody, but if somebody con contacts me from, you know, Beeville, Illinois, and they're like, I got to have someone local. It's like, good luck to you. I'm probably not a good solution. All right. So be. And the, the other way I screen the firms and I'll tell the candidates this is I really, even if they're in a good location, they're providing all that stuff. Yeah. If I would not want to become a client of the firm. Fair. So I don't work with every firm that contacts. We have about yeah. 200 firms that reach out every year and we work with about 25% of them. I have to want to become a client. And then also I have to want to be able to spend, I don't know, any evening at dinner with them. And if they don't check those boxes, I, I'm not working with them. I mean, because I want to be excited about the opportunity because the candidates know if the recruiter's not excited and there's a bunch of anybody with an internet connection is a recruiter these days, right? If the recruiter's not excited, they're just trying to make a quick 30%. That's just what usually headhunters charge. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's not going to be, it's a wasted money from the firm owners and it's going to be a poor fit and it's just going to, and it's going to make people like me who I feel like do it right look bad. Yeah. Okay. Uh, a couple quick hitters just to clarify. So is there a typical size firm? I mean, regardless of how you measure that headcount, AUM, is it too big? Is it too small? My smallest client probably is 8 million in assets that we recruited an associate planner for. And that was amazing. It was awesome. Yeah. Largest clients, probably 15 billion. Most of our work is probably in the 200 million to $1 billion range. Okay. So that's a five to probably 15 or 20 person firm where I can call and deal with the owner and I'm not having to deal with multiple layers of recruiters and yeah. you know, all this other stuff. I mean, cause once they get like, that's great. Our, what we really carved out a niche is helping some of these smaller RAs get to that one to 2 billion where they can hire this stuff in house yep. and run with it on their own. 
people are like, well, don't, aren't you upset? Cause they don't use you anymore. Like, no, we helped them get to where they wanted to go. And they've, we, they've graduated. I mean, if they, you know, they come back sometimes cause they can't find somebody, we can put more manpower to it and we specialize in it, but no, that's, that we see that as a win. Not as a, a negative, we lost business. Yeah, it's funny. That's, I, we take the same mentality here. I tell all my employees, we want to invest in training you such that we get to a point where someday we can't afford you. Like that's how good yeah. you are. And then you choose to stay because you want to because of the culture. So you also mentioned, you know, if you get somebody in a less than desirable location, which just prompts me in this post-COVID world where I hear people talking about remote workers, hybrid structures, does a remote work environment does that help people with recruiting now? I'm, I'm thinking of the next gen people. Like, do they like that? Do they like being in the office? What are you seeing? Yeah, it's most of the firms have adopted a, a hybrid set situation. Okay. So usually it's Monday, Friday, work from anywhere, not necessarily from home, and then Tuesday, Thursday okay. in the office. And I, I think that that certainly helps uh, to have at least that hybrid. But usually it's like if the firm's in Atlanta, they still want someone that lives in Atlanta that just doesn't drive to the office on Monday, Friday. They don't want somebody in Hawaii. Um, yeah, okay. And what I would say just in the recruiting that I do, which tends to be geared towards more newer people, the virtual is not the way to go. An apprenticeship model, you you sitting, you know, 2,500 miles away in several different time zones, that you're missing a lot. You're missing a lot. Yeah. You need to be there. Now, look, if you're an experienced advisor, you got your own book, you've got experience, I mean, you're or you've been working at that firm for years and you want to go- right relocate, move. I see that work. That's fine. But the people coming out of college right now typically don't want virtual because they had that in that COVID mess and their final <laughs> senior year or whatever it was. Uh, where you get it is sort of what everybody wants right now, which is that three-year female CFP. You know, that right. the new college grads don't really want the virtual. The experienced <laughs> people, they're already like, hey, we're established in our neighborhood. We have kids. Like, we right. don't really want sort of that, you know, maybe call it mid to late twenties, maybe early thirties person who, you know, has got three to five years of experience and, you know, they're just holding out and it was an advantage right after COVID and, and yeah, the, okay. the industry was trending that way already. But right. I mean, I think a lot of firms are, are, it's not as a, a good as an advantage anymore and okay. it makes it less sticky. I mean, I look at some of these right. people and it's like, oh, you had that virtual job. You stayed there for a year. Then you got another virtual I mean, versus if someone moves to San Diego or is entrenched there, <laughs> even though they've got 20 job openings scrolling across their Twitter feed every day, they're not likely to, as much to leave because they've already right. invested and they got the apartment like versus the virtual. Yeah. It's just like, ah, hey, you know, I woke up one day. I'm just not feeling it. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to look for another virtual firm. No, no skin off my back. So right. it just, I think it almost puts the employer at a disadvantage versus an advantage because you can certainly get a bigger pool, but Right. It doesn't matter if it's not the right pool. Yeah, right. And not sticky to your point after you spend all this time and effort to invest in them. So, all right. So bring this thing to a close. Where can people reach you? How do they get in touch with you, Caleb, if and when they need help with this stuff? Yeah, I'm a pretty easy guy to find. I'm out there on on LinkedIn and, and social media, but newplannerrecruiting.com. So definitely go get the free salary survey. We have yeah. a podcast that we come out. That's more for job seekers, but a lot of firm owners listen to it. I was going to say, yeah, tell me more about the podcast. You said it's more for the, the next gen people looking to move that would be listening to that. Yeah, but we, we, I interview some of our clients and some of the succession okay. successes that we've had. So yeah. you can, you know, get, get some, some ideas there. Okay. Uh, but we have a lot, we put out a newsletter every month. They can sign up for a free newsletter. We, we have a book, Successful, Successful Hiring for Financial Planners that I wrote back in 2018. Uh, cool. That's a real easy, easy read that kind of lays it out. 
And then any job seekers that you have over the summer, I released a book for them called Finding Your Path, The Roadmap from Student to Successful Financial Planner. So that's available. Both of those are on Amazon. So those are just quick, okay. easy sort of guidebooks. One on for the firm owners how to hire and the other one for the job seekers on what to look for in the firm. So read the one you're supposed to, then read the other one and <laughs> have the inside information on both. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, what's the name of the podcast? They wanted to look that up. We keep it very simple over here. The New Planner Podcast. There you go. All right. Well, very cool. I appreciate you carving out the hour for me here, Caleb. Again, I heard you on stage. I wanted to get you on here and just chop it up and go a level deeper on this stuff because I feel like it gets talked about enough. Again, I wish I saw you on more main stages because these are real struggles that advisors today, as businesses are growing, like they went from practices to businesses, now to these enterprises, like you start needing to find new ways to get more people involved and the training and the compensation's changing. So anyway, you seem to be on the tip of the spear of this stuff. So appreciate you carving out time. Hopefully everyone listening can go look you up, get some of this great information. And if they meet the sort of outlined profile as a target client, look Caleb up. I'm sure he'd love to help you. Appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Caleb. And that concludes another episode of SRG Offscript. We hope you found this episode both interesting and valuable. We encourage you to check out our website at successionresource.com or, of course, connect with us on social for the latest happenings at SRG. If you just can't get enough of SRG Offscript, we invite you to join our monthly Q&A webinar, SRG Offscript Live, where we address your questions sparked by the latest podcast topic. Finally, if you enjoyed today's episode as much as we did recording it, please leave us a review and tell your industry friends about us. Your support helps us continue to bring you the best content possible. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Succession Resource Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice. Always seek the advice of an expert with any questions you may have. As always, we at SRG stand ready to help when you're ready.